Welcome to the New Masculine Podcast. This is a place where masculine identifying people come together in community to disrupt outdated models of masculinity and together construct new models for our way forward as men. As a special note, while this conversation is between men, this podcast values all beings and seeks to create positive impacts for all. I'm your host, Travis Stock. I am a master life coach, an equus coach, which means I often partner with horses when supporting clients, and I'm a teacher. In my coaching work, I am passionate about the balance of masculine and feminine energies in each of us, regardless of gender. I seek to help others nurture a relationship with both types of energy, which often leads to a greater sense of wholeness. And yet what I found in my work with men is that many of us have been taught messages about what it means to be a man by first teaching us to avoid anything that is associated with the feminine. That avoidance leads to few experiences of intimacy, emotions outside of anger, vulnerability, or even a sense of belonging. Striving to comply with these models of masculinity has many of us feeling isolated, ashamed, unworthy, afraid, angry, and depressed. That's why I started this podcast, to bring men together who are ready for something new, something more whole. My next guest sure has a personal story to tell. From a brush with death in his early 20s to the subsequent mental health challenges that arose from that experience, he learned how, as a man, he grew up grossly ill-equipped to adequately navigate the varying terrain of his emotional landscape. He now, however, describes his purpose as dedicating himself to the evolution of manhood. What I love to see is a man who has found his way through the darkness and makes it his mission to help others do so as well. Nick Tovey is a counselor, coach, teacher, and author, and his new book, The Revolutionary Man, The Modern Man's Guide to Life, Love, and Enlightenment, is a part of that mission. Along with this book, Nick offers one-on-one and group men's work that assists men by moving through a progressive and integrative model called the Pillar of Potency. More on that to come. Nick personally describes himself as a father of three daughters, as a leader, and as a lover. I'm grateful that he reached out to join us on The New Masculine, and I'm excited to add his voice to our conversations. So let's get into it with Nick Tovey. Welcome, Nick. Hey, Travis. Thanks for having me. Um, fabulous introduction. <laughs> Feeling a little humbled. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually one of my favorite things to do is to write a little introduction that I don't share with the guests beforehand. <laughs> I like to sort of hold up a mirror to them, to my guests and, and see how it lands with them. So it's actually uh-huh, really fun, uh-huh. to, fun for me to yeah, do that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So people might be able to tell based, based on your accent that you don't live in the United States. Where are you from? Where are you located now? Tell us about that. So I'm originally from the UK, uh, from a city called Sheffield, which is in the north of England. Um, and I currently live in Australia. I migrated here in, well, first came here in 1995. And pretty much I've been here ever since. I'm in beautiful Byron Bay in northern New South Wales, or the hinterland of Byron Bay in northern New South Wales. Mm. Very beautiful part of the country. Australia has been on my bucket list since childhood. It's not, it's not been there. And, and now that we all we're starting to open the world back up during coronavirus and I'm double vaccinated, <laughs> maybe it's on the list coming soon, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, it is a great place to see, to visit. And yeah, I, I'm sure you'd love it. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else that I didn't share in the intro that you think is important for people to know before we jump into the meat of this conversation? 
Ah, I think you've pretty much covered everything and and some. Um, uh, I I can't think of anything right now. I think there's definitely, I guess you know, just to preface the uh, the um, the intro there and all of the uh, uh, things that you nice things that you said about me. I think one of the most important things is I'm just another bloke trying to work this shit out you know and um it's um a constant work in progress and a constant uh educational process of learning and understanding and and adjusting course correcting and screwing up (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate that you lead with that and it's something that i when reading your book noticed that uh, because i think it's very easy when we are coaches therapists counselors authors, we want to represent the most ideal versions of ourselves while leaving out all of the mess. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important and it's a value of mine and my conversations here on this podcast is that we're real as men, that even as a life coach, I'm not limited to this sort of more helpful and and positive and idealistic versions of myself. I'm also a human who, and I'm a Mm -hmm. man in this world who's been raised with limiting beliefs and shame and Mm -hmm. struggles. And so I actually really value that you show up with that realness throughout your work and through here in this conversation. Yeah, I think it's so important. I think, like you said, it's very easy for us to, you know, learn a few things, put out an identity of coach or counselor or whatever it is, and and pretend that we've got it all together and and yeah yeah you know I've, I have I've learned a hell of a lot over the last twenty odd years and um uh, and yeah I'm still learning yeah it's still an ongoing process and I'm absolutely flawed. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that. And if if before we get into the actual conversations about maybe your book and some of the work and your perspectives on masculinity. Mm. I'd love to locate you based on some of your own stories. Like what are the stories yeah. that come to mind for you when you think about growing up as a boy in England? What mm. are some of the stories you think about when it, when you really try to figure out if you look back and think, where, what did I learn about being a man? What, what are those stories that come to mind for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and straight away, you know, my, my upbringing, my, environment was a very working class um northern english uh, upbringing uh, my parents were they they came from more middle class background but i was at, then went to a after my parents divorced when i was 5 i money was much less we we became quite i wouldn't say poor but definitely on the lower end of the socioeconomic scale and um so yeah, it was very much immersed in a very working class, very traditional uh, environment, and and the gender roles were very traditional, very old fashioned. Um, and went to school. Uh, I remember my high school being quite a big school. We had about fifteen hundred students in the high school there, and um, it was very much a sport oriented school and there was very I don't think there was a person of color at my school it was all white there was no gender fluidity there was you know that those sorts of things did not exist in that area or at least that's what it would look like it didn't exist it was very much 
under the radar. Um, so there, there was some very, very strong and traditional ideas around what it is to be a man and what it is to be a woman and what your roles are in life. And I could see that I was very much impacted by that. And I was also very inquisitive. I was like, what, why is this? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. And there's all these other parts of me that I recognize as not being typically traditionally manly and masculine. You know, as I was very much interested in nature and in creativity and loved having deep, meaningful conversations, mainly with the girlfriends that I had at the time. And so there were, whilst I, I definitely lived within the typical sort of male roles as a as a boy very much played the sports was very much into cars and whatever else i could find and climbing trees and 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 very much into girls and and sex when i discovered that pretty young and so but also had this other aspect to myself which didn't sort of fit it didn't fit within the environment and within the culture that i i was around so i had to kind of hide it in a lot of ways um, so those those were very they were very typical and a very old fashioned very traditional ideas around what it is to be a man in the world and and of course I was I believed some of that uh, and I I had the vision that I wanted to be in the military so that was something that I knew pretty early on around 12 years of age I wanted to be in the navy I wanted to join the military and that was definitely a place where I was gonna find this thing called manhood um or at least that's what I believed (laughs) it's amazing to me I think I didn't I don't know that I would have guessed that that similar finding manhood in the military in in service for your country existed in the same way that in the UK that it does here in the United States. Mm. Cause I, I find that to be true of a lot of men here is, is that when feeling lost, when feeling like they are still trying to find themselves as a man, that's a, that's a go-to place where, yeah. where re- real manhood can be found <laughs> in our culture. Yeah. 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 Well, I think there's definitely, there's, there's this, this urge to belong to something um, mm. that I think we, we start to, generate in ourselves pretty early on and and then this there's a club that we want to belong to and this club is manhood and and of course uh, in adolescence back in the day we would have had rites of passage that showed us okay now you have joined the club of manhood and you've been accepted or not um and nowadays we don't have those similar sorts of rites of passage so i know for me that was definitely a rite of passage for me it was to join the military it was it was going through the very uh traditional ritualistic ideas of you know now you are this you have a badge that you wear on your arm you have a particular rank you have a um you know medals and all of these things that are uh in essence rites of passage which let us know that i've achieved something and that i belong to something bigger than myself i think that's a an innate drive and an innate um motivation that we all feel and of course we'll be gravitate we'll gravitate to whatever that gang is whether it's uh the military whether it's um an actual gang uh, um 
or, or, or whatever it is, you know, we'll, we will gravitate to some place where we can belong. I'm pretty sure that's true for everyone. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, it makes me think of, of basic training in the military is a, yeah. is a, is a way that we've manufactured a, a right, a rites of passage at this point mm-hmm. in our culture. Mm-hmm. It, it challenges you. It's sort of like the, the young boy in a tribe that gets sent off into the wilderness to, to mm-hmm. fight some animal and bring it back to the, to the tribe or to go on a vision quest and come back and bring mm-hmm. wisdom back to the tribe. It's, it's that challenge that we offer to boys in, in sort of the doorway to manhood. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And I think that's, I think that's a very natural part of our, our upbringing and a very important part of our upbringing. I just don't think we do it in very healthy ways these days. We've lost yeah, a lot of the connection to a deeper soul-oriented uh, way of, of doing that and, and the village sort of orchestrating and holding the, the boys as, as they do move through to manhood. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, I'm struck by this idea that I never really thought about it this way, but so many people have rites of passages that are put onto them based on their identity. So mm-hmm. for like myself as a gay man, coming mm-hmm. out is the rites mm-hmm. of passage, of course. The, the, walking through that doorway. Um, oftentimes people go move towards religion as one of those mm-hmm. places where they sense their belonging and they move into it and they go through the baptism. There's a rites of passage that goes through there. I think communities of color have rites of passages that are often based in challenge and hardship, much like LGBT mm-hmm. folks. And yeah. so you, you source your sense of community based on these parts of your identity that you then find others like you. And exactly. it's striking me in this moment that, uh, white heterosexual cisgender men don't really have something like that other than military and maybe religion is to go find something external to you. That's not based in your identity to sort of move through. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I I really agree. And, and I guess the, the alternative to the military or or religion is, um, is a criminal gang Mm. uh, where, where a rite of passage may be a crime of sorts or uh an act of violence um and and of course that causes all sorts of problems which uh, we're all aware of oh yeah or i guess on the less dramatic version like a fraternity where you get hazed yeah yeah <laughs> you get a rite of passage in that way in terms of your absolutely joining a group of other boys and while many some of them do act, do acts of service a lot of them are a, a, quite a social club for sure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so why why for you specifically did the military represent mm. an important element of manhood um uh, it wasn't something that i'd i didn't come from a military background or family at all it was just something that i felt like an uprising within an intuition that drew me towards this particular, this particular gang. Um, and there was definitely, uh, attraction in adventure, in danger, in power. Um, some, some of these elements were definitely attractive to me. I, I joined the um, what's called the Sea Cadets, which is like scouts, but for the Navy. Um, and I joined that at about 12 or 13 and absolutely loved it, like loved wearing a uniform, loved marching, loved uh, all the drill and the, the regalia that came with 
that military aspect. It was definitely something that felt, yeah, I think it was a, it was a feeling of belonging, of belonging to something important. Um, as far as it's how that translated to manhood specifically, I think it was definitely, I, I didn't feel attracted to any other, you know, after school, there's either you go to work or you join, you go to university or, or you go to the military or you go on welfare. Um, and, and none of the others really attracted me at all. So the military was something that I knew I could do. It felt within my capacity. Um, it felt like it was going to be a good fit for me. I loved being physically active. I loved, um, yeah, the, yeah, the sense of adventure and, and discovery and, and challenge was really attractive to me. And I think those, a lot of those things are very typically masculine um, pursuits. Yeah, I, that they are really typically masculine sort of endeavors. And yet what I hear in it for you, at least, was they were sort of like the healthy sides of the masculine, the light mm. sides, the, mm. not necessarily coming from a place of shadow, looking to prove dominance and have a gun and, and uh, have power over people. It was actually much, much more from the light side of the masculine for you. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. And I'm not sure it was all always that nice and pretty either. You know, there was, um, I think also for me at that time, I think when I, when I got, when I went down the track and, and found that um, goal and set my sights on that goal before that I'd got, I was going down a bit of a, a more darker area in my life. I was acting out quite a lot in school. I was being a bit of a naughty boy and getting into lots of trouble and started to explore and experiment with alcohol and other drugs. And, and this sort of sorted me out a little bit. And I think that it came at a very opportune time and really gave me a bit more of a, uh, yeah, yeah, I guess a, a purpose. I get mm. that sense of purpose and that sense that, yeah, something more important was, was available to me. And I didn't have to go down the, um, you know, what would have ended in a pretty unpleasant path, I'm sure. It's amazing how important that piece of purpose is, that sense of purpose for each of us as, yeah. I think, just as human beings. I don't think it's just a man thing. But I think I that I, I, it's amazing how without that, and I do, and I work with clients all the time that are like, I don't know what my purpose is. And they're sort of mm. unmoored from a sense of purpose. It's amazing the consequences of that lack of purpose in our lives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's, that's a big problem in our world is that there are way too many people that do not have a sense of purpose. And so they, through, an, through a place of boredom and disconnection, they behave in ways to themselves and to, the, to each other that are just unhealthy and harmful. Um, I think that definitely comes from that disconnection from, from that greater sense of a reason for living, a reason for being, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a job or a, you know, a, a, a business pursuit. It, it can, that sense of purpose for me is this, is a moment to moment experience. It's something that I, I want to 
question in every moment around how does yeah, how does life want to live through me in this moment and and then aligning myself to the answer of that question whatever it is in that moment so yeah i think it's a an ongoing question that we all need to be engaged in i'm so glad you said that because it's a piece of your book that uh the revolutionary man that i really keyed into which is your mm. sort of definition of purpose because I think so often, at least in Western cultures, at least in my culture here in the U.S., we are limited into sort of what our, our sense of purpose can be. In, in a capitalist society like ours, we it is often just a job. And yeah. it is about making money and climbing the ladder and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps in an economic way um, mm. and in a, in a position kind of way. And, mm-hmm. and for men like myself, where that's not where I source purpose, I can feel really lost and depressed and disconnected because my culture doesn't value that or hasn't mm-hmm, taught mm-hmm. me how to, how to, how to look for what does drive a sense of purpose for me. Absolutely. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think you've probably worked with many a client as I have that have come to the point where they've been, they've been, putting all of their energy and all of their eggs in this one basket of business or uh, a particular um, career pursuit. And they've got to a point where it just doesn't mean anything to them. And then they become, they have this real big crisis of identity at that point where it's like, you know, who the fuck am I without this job? You know, what, what do I mean? Who am I if I don't do this, this or this? And it points to, yeah, like I think what is a big point of this conversation is the identities that we place on this thing called manhood. And, you know, one of those is, is the role we play in, in our career. And and the, uh, the the success that we have to acquire, and 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 the the titles that we have to acquire, and the the money of, that we have to make, and all of these measures that we've of manhood that we've been given, and and what we find out very eventually is that they don't mean it. They don't mean anything. <laughs> A lot of these things just don't really hold the water that they're made out to hold. Yeah, it's amazing to me the the more and more really successful men that I work with that have achieved that sort of more capitalistic patriarchal sense of success. Mm. It's amazing to me how many of them are deeply unsatisfied and unhappy yeah. and, and miserable, um, yeah. even with even with succeeding at that form of success and wealth. Absolutely, it's it's a it's a partial. Um, life, you know, we, mm-hmm. we, we're we're disconnected from so many different aspects of ourselves, um, and uh, it, it it's very much about following only masculine qualities and forgetting all of the rest that that's available to us as as a human being, and like connection, like relationship, like being in touch with nature, being in touch with our body, you know, all of these things that are also really, really important and tend to give uh, and supply a lot of satisfaction when we do um, prioritize them. Yeah. Well, you kind of alluded to this idea that many of the time, many men have to go through sort of a dark night of the soul or a, mm. a crack, a crack in the way that we 
have sourced our sense of value and worth in the world mm-hmm. to which in the, in the other, on the other side of it, we have the opportunity to be more whole and to be more integrated and to allow more parts of ourselves, but they're mm-hmm. often really dark processes and scary and hard processes to go to. I'd love to hear, I know you have one of those stories or, or a couple mm-hmm. of those stories. And I'd love to hear what some of your stories are around that. I mean, this was, the, I guess the first one that is the, the experience I had in my early twenties that you mentioned in the intro of when I, um, was, so I'd left the Navy by now and I'd, um, so I'd already created, I'd done five years in the Navy. I'd gone to Australia. I'd met my, the woman who then became my wife and the mother to my children. And, and we went back to England for a, a visit, um, to live there for a year. And, um, during that time I was, clubbing with my brother and a friend of ours and I ended up getting forcibly removed by a club by five bouncers who were also punching me and kicking me and um, there was one particular punch that broke three ribs and put me in hospital um, with internal bleeding and fortunately at the time the, the injuries weren't that severe i had a spleen uh ruptured and i had to have my spleen removed and and my body itself um mended quite well it recovered it started to learn how to deal with life without a spleen after um a, a bit of an adjustment period um but then after that experience i started to notice that i wasn't dealing with life very well i was having these experiences that I I hadn't had before, which I then later discovered were panic attacks and and strong anxiety episodes um, where, like, I I would fear going out into the world. I would, if I heard somebody arguing um, or fighting, there would be this panic that would come across me. There would be a a shutdown of my nervous system. Um, And it was really quite debilitating. And this went on for a while without me doing a great deal about it or doing anything about it um, until it got to the point where, um, well, basically we'd moved back to Australia. We got our home. I got a job. We got a daycare for the little ones we everything was sort of set in place and then i broke basically i had a bit of a uh, I, I imagine it to be a um, fairly minor psychotic breaks minor as in i was able to somewhat deal with it but um not insignificant by any means um and realized that okay i'm not coping shit is not doing uh, is not going so well uh so i um, sought sought help and went to my first GP, who um, the general practitioner doctor, and he was really uncomfortable dealing with someone, dealing with a man who wasn't uh, who wasn't dealing very well, and basically gave me a box of pills and sent me on my way. Um, and this progressed a little further and eventually I, I got a, a diagnosis of uh, PTSD and severe depression. And 
that was i guess the the that was my major initiation in life if i if i look at the the trajectory of my life this was this was the greatest initiation that really uh shattered the fairly flimsy self identity that i'd created by that time you know i'd like i said i'd been in the navy i'd i'd done pretty well i was you know good around town with the women i was i fairly confident in myself i was i kind of thought i had it all together right? and this identity that i'd created for myself had was basically fell around my feet and all of a sudden i didn't know who i was and i wasn't coping with life in in a way that i was used to and and also having all of these experiences that i had no framework to deal with and and not only that i had no capacity to deal with no training no no wisdom no knowledge around how to how to cope with strong anxiety and depression and i was woefully ill resourced to to be able to deal with life as it was presenting itself at this time and through a fairly unsatisfactory experiences with the medical profession i i eventually realized that i needed to i needed to grow through this experience and learn about it and and take responsibility for it and so then went and studied um psychology and and philosophy and eastern traditional medicines and and uh spiritualities and sort of just got hungry for information around you know how how we how can we live this human condition in a way which is fruitful and and healthy and um yeah so that was that was quite a big experience and definitely gave me a lot of data <laughs> and a lot of uh, experience to recognize the ways in which this 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 model of manhood that we've been that we've inherited and we've we've been sort of given to aspire to just doesn't do the job just doesn't doesn't hold water it's and it, and it's really an unhealthy and and um and harmful uh cultural box that we've we've boxed ourselves into it's amazing how often trauma and sometimes it's the big t traumas and sometimes it's the little t mm. traumas that are over time it doesn't have to be as maybe dramatic and as intense and acute as yours was um but it's amazing how those are often the ways that we are initiated into wholeness <laughs> into the the dark night mm -hmm. of the soul that then brings us into wholeness i i think so many of the people in my life and the people that i work with as clients that's true the that suffering and challenge and struggle and and places where we really come up against our safety in the world or either whether mm -hmm. that's um social safety, whether that's physical safety, emotional safety, um, there can be lots of different kinds of safety. But when we really have to confront our safety in the world, I think that really does um, can serve as a powerful initiator. Mm -hmm. 
Something I heard you say was that when you went to your first GP that you were met, you could feel his discomfort in Mm. in navigating a man that was kind of losing his shit. (laughs) And it's such a common experience that I, that even in our, even in, I don't know how long ago that was for you, but, but even in today's world, most medical practitioners often don't know what to do and are really just there prescribing pills Mm -hmm. and are not actually asking questions to know about the man's experience or uh, showing up with any level of actual curiosity other than how do we make this go away? Yeah, totally. I think it, it runs deeper than the medical profession as well. I think that, well, I think that's just a symptom of a greater cultural yeah. discomfort with, with a man in his emotion. And um, I think not only me, us as men have learnt that we're not to do these things called emotion we're going to hide them we're going to pretend they don't exist um i think the world also doesn't expect us to to have them so when we do when we do lose it we don't have our, all of our shit together um then it, it really uh challenges a lot of people and i've seen this with a lot of uh women partners of myself but also women that have been partners of men that i've worked with where it really challenges the relationship dynamic in a lot of ways. And, and I'm not sure what this dynamic looks like in the same sex relationship, but it, it's been a very interesting observation of mine that I've had where it's like when, okay, when the man isn't stable, when he's not the rock that we need him to be, then I lose trust in him. I lose the ability to lean on him and I need to, and it, and it really triggers a lot of um, anxiety and, and uh, a need to create security somehow. And often that is not in, not done in a very healthy way. Yeah, I can, what it brings up for me. And when I think about that is, is that we've all been raised man, woman, uh, anywhere on the gender spectrum, we've all been raised with this, idealistic version that men are sort of fit into the archetypes of the protector mm-hmm. and the provider. Yeah. And when they're losing their shit, they can't be the protector and provider. And then who do I lean on? And, um, and I think many of us have had, uh, we have experienced with our own fathers, we've experienced where their limitations are. And, and if, if, mm. that, if, if the father doesn't have his shit together and is losing it, then our sense of safety in the world as children goes away mm-hmm. and so there's a yeah I, th- I do i do agree with you it goes well beyond the medical field and that there are systemic issues that this is really about and mm-hmm. it's, it kind of comes to the question i was thinking about asking you which was what were the people in your life doing while you were losing your shit what were the friends mm. in your life your partner what were those people in your life were they asking questions about what was going on or curious or how were they handling it yeah well um my my wife didn't cope with it very well at all. Um, she uh, didn't know what to do. Um, there wasn't a great deal of support. Um, and, of course, there was not a great deal of asking for that level of support and being able to clearly communicate what I needed, you know, because I didn't know. I didn't know what, what I needed. I didn't have the language. I didn't have the... Uh, the understanding and the and 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 the courage to be able to uh, yeah really be clear in what I needed 
Um, and also, I, I, I think I also knew it wasn't going to come. What I, what I did need wasn't going to come. So that was definitely a, a, a challenge. Yeah. To be honest, uh, I think it was, a, it was an experience that I went through fairly solitary. Uh, it wasn't something I spoke to friends about. It wasn't something that was well known with, the, um, with people around me. There was maybe one or two people that, uh, that knew what was going on for me. Um, but mostly it was, it was a fairly hidden experience. Um, my family, so my parents knew what was going on because they were close to me when it, when the accident actually happened, I lived near, I lived near them. So they were aware of the, the incidents and then saw some of the, uh, experiences that I was having. So there was an awareness within my greater family. Um, but I guess not a lot of, uh, just the, you know, the odd question around how you're going, you know, what are you doing? And, and, but it wasn't definitely wasn't something that was easily spoken, spoken about. I remember. Yeah. I think that's probably the, the experience of a lot of men that it's not really easily, um, talked about and shared. And I, it points to what you were saying about how flimsy this thing is, we call manhood is the ways that we <laughs> currently hold it because people do get scared when a man is losing his shit because a man, like a man's on his own journey and it's, it's so contained and isolated there. What, mm -hmm. how different would it be if the community surrounded you in a moment of crisis like that? If, exactly. If everyone gathered around during that, like, probably my guesses and from what I understand happened in more sort of like tribal cultures, indigenous mm. cultures, what mm -hmm. would happen if it wasn't up to the man to walk the path alone? What if it was where the community could come in and hold and care and fill in the yeah. gaps? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I, th and I think there's this idea that, well, I don't think I know that, that there is this idea that if we receive support and care then it makes us less independent makes us mm -hmm. less of a man and 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 so there's all this level of shame that surrounds it and 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 prevents us from reaching out and and asking for that level of support and you know as i'm sure you know and i know also in our work this is this has been a difficult thing that i've traversed in getting men over the line to come and seek the support that they need you know it's it's still such a, a hard thing for us to do to ask support and i know that in myself i know that part in myself that feels the level of shame that i'm when i'm not coping with life in the way that i'd really like to or that i think i should in quotes um so there's it's it's so deeply ingrained within 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 us as men, but in in, in the greater society. And I think it it, it of course a, a lot has changed. A lot of shift and a lot of change has happened over the last 20, 30 years in this arena. I think the fact that you know just we're here having this conversation in the way that we're having this conversation speaks to the amount of check ways in which we've changed over the, the recent his, uh, history of humanity. You know, it's a, it's a huge leap in, in the change in our culture and the fact that we can 
easily go and seek the support of a therapist or a coach or a counselor, you know, and they, those things are available. They weren't available to our parents, you know, not my parents anyway. Yeah. I, I think it's true that we have made large leaps. And yet I also appreciate that you're pointing out sort of the barriers to entry for that mm. kind of support that exists within each of us as men, but then exist in our cultural messaging too. And that's a passion of mine is how do we continue to lower the barriers to entry for men to yeah. really do this introspective work, to develop some emotional literacy, to move into different levels of awareness of our communities, of our impact on the planet, on the impact on each other, on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so I really mm -hmm. appreciate you talking about that because I think we're in a, a global moment where it's even more important as, as we've just been through I mean, we're still absolutely in the coronavirus pandemic, but as we, mm. so much of the this impacted the way, our sort of ways of making money, our abilities to go to jobs, the way that men often source their value and worth yeah. has been disrupted yeah. by this. And so this is a time where I, I would imagine many men need support and are struggling with their identities as a result of this. And how do we continue to lower the barriers of entry so that we can that work can actually be done and that more wholeness can mm -hmm. be found mm -hmm. for men? Hundred percent. And I think this also when you take it into the okay, the, the, there's a big issue that we need to face around how men deal with their stuff, but then looking at the greater ecosystem around how men then take that into relationship with others, into, into parenthood, into the way they uh, work in their community and, and the way they show up in, in the workplace and all of those systemic, greater systemic areas and arenas, which just infiltrates every walk of life. Um, if we can all hold a, a deeper place of acceptance around our our humanity and the fact that we we do deal with <laughs> difficulties we do have a lot to learn i think if we can really open up the uh, and welcome that without the shame without the um the the, the narratives of less than um it would be yeah, where, where could we go in the world? It would be an amazing change that we could make. Well, I'm so glad that both you and I are so focused on helping to create that because mm -hmm. it, it is the thing I'm most passionate about in the world. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's, it's why this podcast exists is because much like you and how you describe your mission as dedicating to the evolution of manhood, that's where I'm dedicated to. So, mm -hmm. I, and I love that we as men can model sort of more collaborative energy around our work together uh, around this evolution and not competition work, because I think Absolutely. so competition is important. I think you mentioned that in your book and where can we collaborate and where can we stop playing the zero sum game? That means if I win, you <laughs> lose. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's, it's a beautiful, beautifully said point. And, and, you know, that this idea, and I talk about this in the book around power, um, and how power is this thing that is abundant. And if I can help you 
resource, your source of power, and that is something that I get to gain from as well. And there's, there's there is this whole idea that um, there's only enough, you know, a certain amount of power to go around, and we have to grab it all for ourselves. It's um, which is, of course, where these ideas of competition come in. Um, that I I need to compete. I need to gain my my place in the market or whatever it is that we're, we're, we're trying to compete for. Um, when reality is that we're, we're all in this together. And if I can support you and I, I can support other people uh, and we can collaborate, then many minds, many hearts, not only make lighter work, they, um, the, the, the efficacy, the, the, the effectiveness of the, of the work, of the mission, gets amplified exponentially could not agree more could not agree Mm -hmm. more so let's move over and start talking a little bit about your book the revolutionary man Mm. so what people can't see while listening to the podcast is there the way that the the title is written out that the r on revolutionary is in brackets and you did that very intentionally share with me a little bit about what that means to you yeah sure i like uh, playing with the words of evolution and revolution. And so for me to define those words simply is evolution is, is passive and gradual change that happens over time. Uh, and revolution is, is an active change that happens fueled by inspired action. Uh, and often a rev- so a revolution is evolution that we're actively engaged in, that we're making a choice to consciously evolve um, and make drastic and radical change. So evolution, we off- is, it's always happening to us, but we don't know about it. Where revolution, it's like, okay, we've reached a point of tension where it's like, okay, fuck this. We're going to change. We're going to do something different. The way that we've been doing things isn't okay. It's not working. And I need to make change. Um, And I feel that that is something, you know, definitely when you look at the evolutionary trajectory of humanity, it's very clear to see that evolution is speeding up really, really fast and has been over the last, well, definitely over the last couple of hundred years since the industrial revolution era. And, but particularly over the last 50 years in the uh, post-modern and the post-post-modern era. Uh, And today we are going absolutely gangbusters as far as how quickly things are changing. And, and this is a really, really exciting time to be alive and of course, it brings a whole heap of challenges with it too. Um, but when when we're talking about specifically the arena of of gender and sexuality and relationships from those places of gender and sexuality, it's it's very interesting where we're at right now. Things are changing, have changed dramatically, and I think we're at a point where it's like the old ideas of manhood just don't work for us anymore. They don't fit for, for our, our life today. And, and I, I really want us all to be engaged in the revolution of, of manhood, of what that means, and to, to really discard and dismantle and, and challenge a lot of the old ideas that, of, that we've inherited that just don't work for us anymore. Absolutely. And something I really appreciated while reading your book was 
how you intentionally and specifically call out your brothers in the LGBTQ plus communities, men like me, because I think it's so Mm -hmm. often we as men are discounted or less than as men. I I sort of grew up with the story in my mind growing up as a child, not that it was ever explicitly said to me, but just it's how I integrated it was Mm -hmm. that I had failed as a man from the moment I got here. I was gay. And so there's places where you call out and acknowledge that you don't actually know what it's like to walk in our shoes and you're Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wanting us to be included in this conversation because it's it's where I've landed in my own identity and my own part of the revolution is to say, well, I'm going to take a seat at this table and have a conversation where I may not Mm -hmm. have been given a a seat at the table, but I am going to take a seat at the table. It is going to Mm -hmm. be, I do have something to offer. I do have a different perspective that might help us reintegrate some of the places where we've been fragmented as men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think something I've learned and, and, and embodied and really welcomed over the time that I've been doing this work is, is to recognize that, um, you know, a lot of these identities that we, that we gravitate to and that we hold on to, they, they're useful for a, to a point, and and ultimately, when we strip all of that away, we're the same beating heart. And uh, and while I, I want to understand everyone's world and everyone's worldview and everyone's experience, I'm not going to be able to. And and yet, there's a place that we can connect, and and it's that at core of our humanity. And um, and and my experience exploration through this world of of gender and sexuality is is taught me that things aren't so black and white we're not you know uh, i don't just sit in the cisgendered heteronormative camp uh, without having other aspects of myself that may not have been fully expressed and, and explored um, and I think that is true for all of us, you know, and I think so, hence the, these identities, yeah, they can be useful and sometimes they can be a box that um, limits us. Um, I think in, at the core of our humanity, we're, we're everything, <laughs> we're all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think there's a point in the book where you actually point out how much of the ways we as men are cultured to be men are quite homophobic and, and not necessarily just in um, I hate gay people, but in the, Mm. I can't share intimacy and connection and be seen by Mm -hmm. another man. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think, yes, I totally agree with you that at a certain place, our common humanity is the most important place of connection. We are also really undoing so much homophobic ways that we've learned to interact with each other mm-hmm. and to guard mm-hmm. ourselves against each other. And I just really appreciate you calling things out like that because for the vo- those of us that the, that identity is important, it is, we are still in the process of working through that. We're not at the place where mm-hmm. we can just see each other at the, pl- at our common humanity. That's where we want yeah. to get to, but we, as a, yeah. our, many of our cultures don't support that yet. Exactly. Yeah. There's a, there's a journey to take. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you share a lot in your book about sort of the story that you shared with us here on the podcast about sort of the trauma that's happened in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also talk about 
where we head as men and where Mm. where where some of the sort of more uh, meta or collective challenges we face are. There's a a quote that you um, have on page 16, which says, what I realized is that I had had also disconnected from my masculinity. As my trauma was a hyper-masculine, violent trauma, Mm. I had been, I had suppressed the darker, more powerful and potently aggressive part of myself. I didn't trust that part of myself and I didn't trust other men very easily also. While I did have Mm. male friends, I was very guarded and discerning of how I revealed myself to them. That's sort of what we've been talking about, about this homophobic ways that we've been cultured to to engage with each other is, is that most of our interactions are very power over with each other, deciding who has more power, who's the alpha male, um, can be quite violent, either emotionally violent or actually physically violent, like was in your case. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's a difficult one for me to, to express clearly, because I think there's, as I, as I said in that quote that you just read out, there are aspects of our humanity which are violent, which are um, do seek and and do work draw to more towards on these darker powers that that are that are actually um, important aspects of ourselves. And I, what I'm definitely not a proponent to is denying those parts of ourselves and and uh, and pretending they don't exist because whatever we deny goes to the shadow and will come out in a way which is insidious and, and covert and, and really harmful. Um, so I think it's important to recognize that there, you know, we, and I talk about this in the book around really owning those darker aspects of ourselves, but doing it in a way which is, uh, which is healthy, which is honest, which is open. And, and then we can express them in their true essence and their true power, which is actually really beautiful. Uh, it's when we when they're distorted, uh, which it comes out in a way which is harmful uh, and oppressive. You know, so let's own our our need for competition. Let's own our need for uh, for for aggression, for um, a connection to our sexuality from the more wilder, darker animalistic aspects of of how that likes to express itself but let's do that in a way which is which is held which is contained which is healthy and which is is um honest and i think that's that's the important part you're sharing a piece of very important conceptual knowledge that i think you and i can often get because of our training Mm. because of the work we do in the world and i'm wondering can you bring it down and make it simpler in the way that it's like, how do we own those parts of ourselves? What are the steps that we, or that you, how do you take a man through that when you're working with a man of really owning those Mm. pieces of themselves? Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's one very important aspect of, of manhood, which has been, uh, relegated and of course for good reason and this is you know the way in which we can be oppressive sexually where our sexual predator can come out in ways which is harmful to others um and of course there's good reason that to have this in check um but what we often do is and have done and i've definitely noticed i had this experience myself uh, of suppressing those parts of ourselves and pretending they don't exist 
um, and trying to be nice guys and, uh, you know, try, trying to make sure that we're, we don't hurt others and, we're, we're, you know, we put on a smile where behind the smile there may be this, in, you know, this person who's raping this other person across the room with their eyes and with their imagination. Yeah. So this is a way in which our sexuality can express itself in really unhealthy ways. So firstly, the, 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 the first sort of point of working with that is, is owning that, is recognizing, ah, oh, this is how in those experiences, you know, when I was actually trying to uh, be nice to this person that I was attracted to, what I actually wanted to do was have sex with them and to, and to you know, throw them against the wall and ravish them like a beast. <laughs> um, and done in a way which is, is connected to that aspect of herself, that is going to be a really in, exciting sexual encounter as long as it's consensual, as long as it's not harmful. Um, but if we, if we hide it, if we deny it, then it of course comes out in harmful and un, unhealthy ways. So we need to connect with that part of ourselves and feel it. How does it want to work? How does it like to move? Uh, it's all about embodiment. So a lot of my work is about, and, and the, the first tier of the pillar of potency is really about getting in the body and getting to feel and be connected with the ways in which our physical felt sense changes according to the moments, according to how we're feeling emotionally, according to what how our sexuality is moving through us, according to uh, what I'm feeling like in my physical body, whether I'm ill or uh, energized or, or lethargic or tired, um, all of those things, those experiences that we, we all have, most of the time we're not connected to them. We're not really fully conscious of what's going on in our body so when i'm working with somebody in this way it's really getting getting in contact with let's say our predator our sexual predator uh our beast our sexual beast whatever you want to call it um to get in contact with it in the body and feel how the body wants to move. How does he, maybe he growls, maybe he's more animalistic. Maybe he wants to crawl around the floor and um, uh, like look at his prey over the other side of the room and stalk his prey and ready for the takedown uh, and just get in touch with that. And of course it probably sounds a little weird and a little strange to even contemplate doing something like that. But this is, this is how we have to do it. We have to get the physical imprint of these different aspects of ourself. So then we can take that information into the world and go, ah, I can notice this part of myself that's actually wanting to play out sexually with this stranger across the room. Um, but we also know because we're conscious human beings that have conscience we know that that would be the wrong way to go about interacting with this person um so it's like okay how can i work with that without suppressing without shoving it down pretending it doesn't exist how can i work with that energy within me to not express it outwards um 
and and then you know I could maybe take that energy with me to go and approach that person and have a conversation and see where it goes. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, and I, I think it's it in in some ways it's weird because it in some ways it feels risky in our current environment yeah. to really talk about that because of coming through the Me Too generation and really acknowledging yeah. the harm, especially around sexuality that men have done and that is yeah. real and that needs to be addressed. And it also feels like ripe for the picking in terms of where do we actually, where can we actually make this a safer world? If, if, if people mm-hmm. weren't acting from shadow, if those things weren't suppressed and repressed, how could things be different? How could it actually be a safer mm-hmm. world if we were meeting reality rather than covert ways of manipulating and getting people into sexual experiences. And yeah, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I notice my own risk reaction to that, but then I also, mm, mm. but I also feel the, the potency of what could potentially come from that. Absolutely. And uh, uh, thanks for speaking that. Cause I think this is a, a really important point as we are, we're all scared. We're all terrified of, of, have it, even having these conversations and and yet this is the, these are the conversations we need to have in order to create the safe world that we need to create because we all have that within us and if we don't own it if we don't own our inner rapist or our inner manipulator or our inner predator or whatever it is that we want to however we want to describe it it will operate insidiously it will go to the shadow and there's no this is just the way our nature works and and it may not come out in uh, a, a, what looks like a you know out and out rape but our our shadow is very uh, clever and very cunning and mm-hmm. can come out in very subtle manipulative ways and 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 come out in ways which is just trying to steer the conversation with this person to get them to say yes to something that we want but what we're doing is manipulating what we're doing is is trying to is covertly trying to um, coerce this person to serve our own needs it's exactly the same energy as the person that goes out and overtly rapes um, and yet done in a very different way mm. Yeah, and it's important to look at both sides of the coin, the one that does it in shadow and the one that does it overtly, mm-hmm. because they're mm-hmm. they're part of the same, there's part of the same energy for sure. It's Absolutely. the same distortion. It's mm-hmm. the same distortion. Yeah. One of the other pieces you talk about in the book that I really agree with is that another element of our of manhood that is in shadow is sort of the feminine. And Mm -hmm. there's another quote that I took out of the book from page 28 that is, to the contrary, as I integrate my fullness, as I marry my feminine traits with my masculine, I become much more of a man. I have a choice of how I can utilize my gifts across the entire spectrum to meet them each moment as as I desire and as the moment calls for. That's so in alignment with how I sort of describe one of the key elements of my sense of purpose in my work is... Mm is to usher in a new version of the masculine one with its own integrated feminine space. And mm-hmm. that's not, not to, to feminize men or to make men yeah. more like women. It is to come into contact and be uh, in relationship with the part of us that knows how to care, that is scared sometimes, that does feel yeah. weak, that doesn't know, that is 
emotional, that all of those pieces that we tend to reject as men, mm-hmm. I, I find it so important that we learn to bring that part of ourselves out of shadow and actually stop shaming that part of ourselves and actually build a relationship to it. There's so much wisdom and, 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 and wholeness there. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt. I think there's, so uh, the way I, even the words masculine and feminine, you know, we, we have genderized these terms right. to the point where, you know, masculine, it only belongs to man, you know, even the name of your podcast it, it is alluring to that. Uh, <laughs> no offense, <laughs> um, but it's, but it's like, that's what we've done. We've called masculinity the, the arena for man and femininity the arena for woman. And we perpetuate those gendered terms. And the reality is, or the way I see it, what I, what I think we need to do is, is separate gender from sexual expression, i.e. masculine and feminine, and recognize that, you know, when there's a spectrum of masculine and feminine, just like uh, a magnet. Yeah. So if a, if we have a, a magnet with a south pole and a north pole, we we have a, a spectrum which has on one pole the masculine and on the other pole the feminine, and of course we have everything that happens in between. And these these sexual energies or sexual expressions exist within everything. You know within nature within uh it's electricity you know a positive being attracted to a negative that is the same thing that is happening within us and yet so when i when i look at these terms masculine and feminine i look at you know the obvious um analogy or parallel would be the yin and yang of chinese medicine you know they talk about the yin being the softer the more receptive uh, and the cooler um, element and the yang is the more uh, directive, the more aggressive, the more hot uh, elements. And it's the same with masculine and feminine. So masculine is about go, it's about lineality, it's about order, it's about structure. And feminine is flow, it's, it's change, it's color, it's aesthetics, it's emotion, it's feeling, it's pleasure. Um, and we all have those qualities, those experiences of life. And by putting myself up the masculine end of the spectrum and denying the feminine end of the spectrum, which is what we've all been taught to do, um, makes me neglect really, really important parts of myself. So it makes, it makes life very difficult to relate to other people, to other human beings, if I don't hold some of my feminine qualities and bring those into relationship because it's the feminine that connects from an emotional level, from a, from a felt sense, from an intuitive sense. And those are really, really important parts of being a human being. So if I'm, if I'm place, placing myself only up the masculine end of the spectrum, then we become very cerebral, very order and, and, logic re, um, and reason oriented and which of course is our whole world <laughs> mm. um, and we forget that we live in a body we forget that our body is made of the earth we forget that we're as part of nat- as much a part of nature as the worms and the birds and the trees 
And we, so we distance ourselves from these other aspects of our, our reality, our truth, and our origins. And, and of course, we disconnect ourselves from our inner feminine um, and, and the woman that lives within us. You know, prior to growing a penis in utero, we, we were a woman. Mm. You know, we had the same uh, fetal, um, we, we, we were the same. It was exactly the same thing. And then the chromosomes uh, shift and we, and we start to grow um, male genitalia. But the male genitalia is exactly the same as a female genitalia. You know, a penis is a is a larger clitoris, and uh, there's the the so we are not that different. <laughs> we are not that different. Yeah, so, and of I, course, I, there's hormonal things and all of that, and that's very true and very much part of our nature. But we are so much more than a bag of hormones. But I like the the way that you're pointing to that, and it, many much of it aligns with how I see masculine and feminine versus masculinity and femininity or male versus female like there's so much mm. of what you're saying i really agree with and i like I, I appreciate the way that you're the way you're describing it actually meets our current moment when we're in a generation that is undoing the boxes of gender that is mm. creating more space for people to find who they really are authentically and not mm. Need mm. Fit into some sort of marker that makes sense to the mind but that actually is embodied and felt and mm -hmm. and so i appreciate those elements of it as you talk about reintegrating the feminine finding the inner woman what mm. what would you say the first step is for men who are open to that journey because as you said we are cultured to reject that it's not totally. only are we taught as boys boys to be quite homophobic we're also taught in many ways to be pretty misogynistic to reject feminine things yeah. and so yeah. How, what is the first step to sort of reclaiming that part of ourselves? Um, just, a, just a little question, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a, you know, only, you know, 3,000 years of conditioning that we need to <laughs> let go of. Totally. Um, it's, it's uh, I, I think the first step is recognizing that the, the, the status quo doesn't work. You know, the first step is recognizing, you know what, this, this mask that I've been trying to hide behind my whole life, it just doesn't work for me anymore. And it feels flimsy. I want to throw it away, but I'm scared uh, because who am I without it? Um, and that, that is the moment that I think we all, we all come to and we all come to it in our own ways. And, and sometimes like mine experience, it's a, it's a crisis. Sometimes it's, not sometimes it's more subtle and and of course in more easy to ignore so i think the first point is is having that question having that realization that the 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 status quo the the old model of manhood that i've inherited doesn't fit for me and and having a conversation with ourselves around you know what is important what is important? How do I want to live? How, what, you know, if I was truly free, if I was truly free and I didn't, I wasn't caged by expectation, my own or the world's, um, and I wasn't limited by my own beliefs around who I am and who I should be. If I was truly free, how would I live? 
how would I live? How would I relate? Who would I relate with? What would be the the ways in which I would express myself in the world? And and having a really deep and honest conversation with ourselves around that. And that's a, not an easy one. And of course, it's not an easy one to have on our own sometimes. Sometimes we need support. Sometimes we need help. So go out and get the support, you know, call, find a, a coach or a, a therapist or somebody that works for you, that feels good to you, um, that feels like a good fit and get in a, a, in a men's group or a group of people that, uh, that feel aligned, that are questioning the similar questions and, and working, trying to work out this life in a way which just works better. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I appreciate that offering because I think you're pointing to something really important. Typically, the way that I like to sort of land the plane with my interviews is to ask if there's one piece of advice that you would give to mm. me. In some ways, it feels like you've already answered that. But I'd love to give you mm. the opportunity that if there's anything else you would like to add as an offering or an invitation to men from your perspective, what would that be? Mm. Goodness dance <laughs> dance dance you know when i when that's the word that came to me it's like how do i get into my body how do mm. i really connect with my body and i feel that dance music talks to me music talks to my body it 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 it, it connects with my body in a way that wants it to express whether or not I choose to, or I choose to ignore it, or I choose to deny it, or I choose to uh, express it freely. Um, you know, dance, I think has been something that a way in which I am able to get out of my head into my body and just allow my body to move. Doesn't have to look pretty, doesn't have to look a certain way, but put on a track that really connects with me in the particular energy that I want to feel or that I want to express and allow my body to move. I'm so glad that I actually asked you the question because I, <laughs> and let you speak from an intuitive place of what bubbles up for you because I did not mm. expect that answer. And I actually <laughs> fully agree with you and, and have... Mm had my own experiences of going to like ecstatic dance communities or yeah. um, done my own processing through mo physical movement. And, and I actually think yeah. there's something really important in getting in the body in that way. So thank you for mm -hmm. that, for that last piece. Mm. I, I did not expect it and I'm delighted by it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect it either. <laughs> <laughs> so if people wanted to get in connect connection with you, wanted to explore your coaching work, wanted to find the book, how might they do so in the world? So I guess my website's the easiest port of call, which is nicktovey.com. So that's N-I-C-T-O-V-E-Y.com. And you can obviously read a bit about me and the ways in which I work um, on there. Uh, there's a few blogs you can read and um, links to my podcast that I run with my partner. Um, there's the book you can get on Amazon in both kindle and paperback so wherever you are located in the world search that on your amazon and you will find it there the revolutionary man and obviously i'm available on the socials on facebook and instagram if you just under nick toby n-i-c-t-o-v-e-y okay well i will make sure to have all of that in the show notes so that people can find you easily 
Um, and I do recommend after having read the book myself, I do recommend that the listeners go and find this book, The Revolutionary Man, mm-hmm. um, because it does offer some unique insights into where to, what are our challenges as men, but it also really shares your own personal journey and your own personal stories and shows the man, the human behind the process that you're creating and mm-hmm. the, the work you do with men. And I think that we need to see more flawed human beings. We need to see more people <laughs> struggling. We need to see the reality of the people that are supporting and helping us because mm-hmm. in my experiences, when we guruize or we put other people on a pedestal, that can be just as harming, harmful um, as... Definitely. Because it, it, it creates this place where we can't attain that. And so I, I appreciate you sharing vulnerably of your story here on the podcast, but also in the book, The Revolutionary Man. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. If people want to get in contact with me, you can go to my website at travisstock.com. You can email me directly at travisstock03 at gmail.com. Or you can go to Instagram and find me at Trevor03. I share a little bit about my personal life, but also it's where the ongoing conversations of the new masculine are happening. So please find me on there. Also, if you're interested in contributing to the mission of the New Masculine podcast, I'm also on Patreon. If you want to go to patreon.com slash the new masculine and become a contributor to help me continue the mission of this podcast, it's greatly appreciated. Uh, I so appreciate uh, our conversation today, Nick. It's been a wonderful conversation and I'm so grateful that you reached out and that we got to jam in this conversation together. Thank you, Travis. It's been great to chat. I hope to uh, do it again sometime. Yeah, for sure.